This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Welcome to my 200th episode. So crazy. I thought I'd take this opportunity to reflect on my podcast journey with you over the last four years. And if you've been with me since episode one, by the way, thank you very much. I'm laughing because the first like 14 episodes are so bad. And if you've hung in there, you're a trooper. And they weren't bad because of my guests. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know what I didn't know. In in the beginning, for example, I hadn't really dialed in my niche and I had zero internal clock when I planned the episode. So I'd start where people were born, thinking I could still get to whatever subject we wanted to discuss after, you know, casually detailing their entire life story. So anyway, thank you if you're a loyal curiositor and uh, welcome if you're new. I'm going to share three lessons that 200 episodes of podcasting has taught me and answer a few listener questions. So the first lesson is really the biggest gift, and that's confidence. I definitely considered myself a confident person before podcasting, but it's really something else to look back and see how my confidence has filled out and kind of anchored in. For example, I'm less hesitant to cold pitch a prospective guest more than once. And I'm bolder in asking for what I want, like if a guest has a barking dog in the background or something. Normally, that would have been totally fine. But now, current me would ask if we can find a way to calm Fido down. I've also gained a lot of confidence through holding conversations with really just brilliant people who seem to also find me engaging or they're faking it really well. I remember when I was 25 or so, I met a lawyer for the first time. And I immediately felt like smaller, dumber, you know, ashamed. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Like right after shaking my hand, she'd quiz me on the legislative branch of government or something. She didn't. She actually asked me about my eyeliner. This happened again to me when I got the chance to talk to a group of Muslim diplomats from North Africa. And that conversation was through an interpreter. We only had like 10 minutes to just really connect. You know, what do you want to ask me in 10 minutes? They wanted to know what I ate in in like a typical day. Diplomats. And here I was nervous that they would make some kind of sociopolitical reference that, you know, I wasn't up to speed on. I do truly wish that that kind of perspective was something I could just box up and send out to all of you so that you would know that there is a way to connect with anyone and you have something interesting and unique to offer that they can't get themselves. And... That no one thinks about you as much as you think about you. So even if you feel insecure or self-conscious, chances are the other person can't tell. Why? Because they feel that way too. Now, these are some of my most memorable moments and what I was thinking about when I started the show. I thought, how can I help other people gain access to people like this, even though their lives are really routine with the same, you know, coworkers and neighbors and friends? You hear me call that the algorithm a lot on the show. How can I wake up their curiosity to notice these opportunities, these 10-minute windows of time, like, like with the Muslim diplomats, that contain such incredible treasure 
if they have the right question to unlock it. I don't know if I'm succeeding, but I hope so. I hope that the incredible gifts, the incredible guests here that have gifted you with new perspective and armed you with questions to walk up current to find your own answers, even if it's not what everyone else in your tribe thinks. That's the difference between active and passive curiosity. Passive curiosity consumes information, you know, just like scrolling or eavesdropping or even gossiping. Active curiosity is more nuanced and integrated. It answers questions with questions and is seeking in nature, going after information instead of just consuming whatever is spoon-fed. Active curiosity cultivates, while passive curiosity just consumes. And I want to give credit to Garrick Jones for the idea of passive versus active curiosity because that was our topic in episode 131. And so I was curious before, but the podcast has given me the opportunity to really cultivate it for myself. And the fruit of it has been more confidence. I promise I'm tying this all back to confidence. But you don't have to be a podcaster to get that. Cultivating your own curiosity in your real life with the people and nature around you can give you access to more confidence too. The other thing that I wish for you is to see vulnerability as a source of power and not weakness. I've historically felt vulnerability in the way that I felt being called on in math class and having all eyes on me as I confessed I did not know the answer. But podcasting has taught me that vulnerability is actually a critical ingredient in successful connection. And I never understood that before. And this is a recent lesson, by the way, one that I'm only at the beginning of walking through. But as a, a sensitive person, as a woman, I am calibrated to adjust my presentation of myself to the needs and the moods of the people around me, really. How you may have seen that or heard that on the show is when I talk with an academic, I lean on my cerebral side, you know, making sure I sound smart and serious. And when I talk with a comedian, I bring out the class clown. And I'm both of those things all the time, of course. But in the situation of this public platform, I'm not them usually at the same time. And I think it's caused for a loose connection between you, my listener, where there could have been a stronger one if I had shown up as all of me all the time. So it's, you know, something I'm working on. Not because I'm just obsessed with making the show better, although I definitely am, but because I want to connect with you better and I want to give you inspiration to show up as all of you all the time. And certainly give my guests the space where they feel invited to do the same. Because nuance is sexy, and I think we should show it off. The third lesson that I'm learning is a lesson I'm actually unlearning. That hard doesn't equal best. Complicated doesn't equal quality. And simple and fun does not equal lazy. Those are heavy, right? This lesson kind of started when I interviewed Joe Sanok about the four day work week in episode 128. And it keeps going as I work with my own podcast coach, Adam Shibley, whose motto is ELF, easy, lucrative, fun. Also, growing up in the Midwest, there's really just something about putting in a hard day's work. That means you're a good person and that having just what you need makes you righteous and having more than enough money and free time makes you a scumbag. Combine that with my tendency to interpret data in like a more literal way, you can maybe see why that groove in my brain runs pretty deep. But as I continue to work to create quality, curiosity-inducing content for all of you in a way that prevents burnout for me, 
have a real need to simplify. Additionally, I've started making money podcasting by producing podcasts for companies who want to add a podcast to their brand offer. And I definitely can't do that and still have a great life if I'm in front of a computer all the time, thanks to my 6,000 step process. So what does this lesson have to do with you? Well, I wanted to encourage you that A, it is okay to question the importance of individual tasks. For example, this is a random example. How critical is it that I only meal plan dinners that are 100% in season fruit and veggies? It's taking an extra 30 minutes. And is it that big of a deal? Maybe not. And B, I wanna encourage you that if you get stuck in processes like I do, you can identify a friend who has a little less perfectionism and pretend to be them. I have this friend named Sarab. He's a master at having an idea, immediately finding the quickest, most lucrative, and most fun way to execute it. So sometimes I ask myself, what would Sarab do? And this gives me the fresh perspective that I need to strip down my overprocessed way of getting from A to B. Overall, I'm just super grateful for the growth and the connection that I've experienced here. As an introvert, I crave social interactions that feel meaningful. And it's crazy how many episodes I've published that have sparked someone to message me privately and share something about themselves. Those messages are gold to me, by the way. Because even though I can see the download numbers on my reports, it's just not the same as hearing from all of you. So with that, I'm going to answer a few questions, actually, that came in from you. And the first one is from Beth Carefoot. Carefoot, Carefoot. Is it even a Q&A if I don't mispronounce your name? Probably not. She asks, how hard is it to come up with the content and how much research do you do? Sandra Goodwin asks a similar question. She asks, how long do you prep for a show? Curious how much time goes into your prep for the interview part. Well, Beth and Sandra, <laughs> the content, coming up with the content isn't hard. I have 50 emails in my inbox right now with content ideas. The hard part is finding the person to talk about the content. For example, I really want to talk to a professional mourner right now. You know, someone paid to go to a funerals and like be sad. Um, kind of hard to find that person. So if you've got any leads, send them my way. Um... But as far as the guest, like prepping for the interview, it's about two hours. I feel so weird telling you that because I know that I over-prepare and my process is complicated and I'm working on it, but I'm here to be honest, to be real with you. So that doesn't include the process of discovering the guests, learning about them, et cetera. But after I have the guest booked, <clears throat> it's usually about two hours of time where I have a pre-production video chat rearrange the questions in an order that doesn't feel like audio ping pong and write that intro that y'all love so much. So that's about two hours. As far as the guest discovery part, maybe the more guest research part, that's a tough question to answer because I just have random ideas all the time. And so sometimes it's when I'm just out living my life in the world. I, uh, oh, for example, I've been watching the show called Underage Undercover, and it's about the nonprofit SOSA and how they bust adults who are soliciting children, right? And I'm probably going to invite this lady to come on my show. I've watched four or five episodes of this show. Do I count that as work? I could, but I don't. So 
I interviewed um, Shane Reynolds, uh, a travel adventure show host, it was episode 36, and he talked about how when you live a creative life as your job, there's this integration between um, your work life and your home life, and it's there's just really no clocking in or out for that. So, long answer, but it's the truth. Melissa Garner asks... What have you learned about yourself from the various guests and topics that you've hosted? What were you not expecting that happened? And what did you expect to happen that didn't? Well, I actually did an episode all about this with my friend who's also a podcaster named Joe Sills in episode 119. We did an episode called Podcasts That Changed Our Lives. And we both talked about two or three episodes that really impacted us. But one thing that I've learned about myself in the more recent part of my podcast journey is I think not finishing college actually has given me an advantage. And I've always, I've not always felt that way. Um, but I realized that I have this outsider perspective that brings something fresh to these conversations, especially with academics or with subject matter that is usually confined in a certain framework. I've not been indoctrinated in that way of speaking or thinking. Same could be said of me not spending very much time in a formal like corporate setting. So it's, it's funny in your life how some of the things that you could feel self-conscious about are actually strengths. So I hope that encourages you to kind of reframe maybe something that you feel self-conscious about that actually could be an asset. What was I not expecting? I was not expecting to meet so many amazing guests on my show that actually became real life friends, but I love it and I hope it never stops. What was I expecting that didn't happen? Something that I expected to happen that didn't was in the beginning of my podcast journey was I thought that every guest that I had on the show would share and promote the episode and that sounds so stupid to admit but uh I definitely thought I definitely thought that's how it would work and yeah it is kind of a bummer when they don't especially if they come to me and pitch to come on the show and then they also don't share it that doesn't feel good but now it doesn't bother me as much I understand if they're promoting a book for example and they do five of these interviews in a week ew would they promote all five their audience would just be sick of them and it wouldn't really help any of those five people so I'm, I'm really not that sensitive about it now but that's definitely something that I didn't love Joe Sills speaking of Joe asked do you ever get bummed yeah it happened recently actually uh, there was a two week period where I was talking to different people in the podcasting industry and they were like, oh my God, I, I, I'm so surprised that your podcast download numbers aren't higher. Uh, okay, I know that may sound like a compliment to some of you, but in the South, we call that a backhanded compliment. That's like when your mima says your tiny beady eyes are so pretty. It is not a compliment. <laughs> and that's how I felt like, and because there were a number of people within that two week period that said it, I was feeling it in my little heart and it just sucked so yeah sometimes I do get bummed Andrea Nutt asks who is on your bucket list to have on your podcast I love this question okay there is a professor called Dr. Jim 
Tucker out of the University of Virginia, and he is studying past life experiences in children. Yeah, Jim, I want you on my show, man. Um, Also, I find Dan Harris really interesting. He's a former news anchor who had a panic attack on live television and has since become a major meditator. And he himself has a podcast called 10% Happier. I would love to talk with him about what it's like to be a type A personality who successfully meditates because those things don't usually go together. I'm also fascinated by Judge Judy. Not sure what we would talk about, but I think it would be juicy. Bobby Bones, he's a former, he's a radio host, but he grew up in um, poverty. Like he talks about his trailer park growing up and he's just got a really interesting life story. And then lastly, Bubba Watson, he's a, a golfer, a pro golfer, and who is fairly open about some of his mental health struggles that he has around anxiety and some sensory stuff too. And I think it'd be so cool to have a conversation about being an anxious achiever. So, all right. Impine78 asks, how do you come up with new topics? Well, they come to me where all good ideas cometh. The shower. (laughs) I'll be watching YouTube or Netflix or scroll on my phone or have a conversation with somebody and they'll ask a question that kind of fits in that taboo uh, question bucket. And I'll go, ooh, that's good. And then, you guessed it, I will email myself. And that's why I have 50 emails for myself. Stephanie Brotherton asks, what's the hardest part, easiest part, part you love, part you hate? The hardest part is that I also hate is culling through the episodes after I've recorded them. The hardest part is also not being that girl who like talks about her podcast all the time in social situations. Because when you meet someone interesting in real life, do you not, in the next conversation, you have to be like, yo, I just met the most interesting person. And that's how I feel about the podcast. So it comes up in conversations a lot. So I try to work around it instead of saying, oh, I interviewed someone. I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I talked with a guy who is actually studying near-death experiences. Isn't that crazy? So I don't think they see, I, I, I don't think I'm fooling anyone, but I just try not to be gross about it. The easiest part is just that I love it. I just really love the process. Paul Roberts asks, why can't episodes be an hour and a half to two hours? I need answers. You're one of the few podcasts I wish were longer. Well, thank you, Paul. Paul interviewed me on his show, Entertainly Educational. And Paul, the short answer is it's expensive. (laughs) Both time and money. Plus the 30 a 40 minute range is usually the total time it takes someone to drive to and from work and so I'm a little obsessed with my consumption rate meaning what percentage of the podcast episode people listen to I like to keep it at 70% so um not sure why just one of my weird things Alex Sulkin asks who was the best most riveting guest you ever interviewed and why was it me Alex Alex, it was you. Alex was episode nine. We talked about how to get ripped without a gym. And I will tell you, Alex, people still come to me about that episode. And they were like, yeah, I remember that one guy. And he was talking about functional strength. Hang, crawl, carry. I still remember it. So that is why you are the best. You're welcome. Mandy Phillips asks, what do you look forward to in the next 200 episodes? This is such a good question. I look forward to leveling up the show overall. Um, new website, new logo, improved audio quality. 
And I also look forward to, fingers crossed, maybe joining a network. That might be great. Sue Kinney says, you're truly an inspiration. Can you share how it feels to create your life dream and then live it? Well, thank you, Sue. Um, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't think I'm like living the dream dream. I think I'm in training for the dream. I feel like the podcast is preparing me somehow for something that's next. And that's kind of a weird thing to say. Um, but it's how I feel. I feel like whatever opportunity is after this, I feel like I'm going to trip over it. But then I'll be ready because whatever skill sets that thing requires, I will have at least warmed up in this arena. Um, I, and I interviewed Sue, by the way, in episode 130 about being barefoot in Canada for over a decade. And Sue, I have to tell you that I have a new mantra because of you that helps me become more mindful. And I've adapted it since my own kind of barefoot journey. And that's be with your feet. And sometimes when I feel like I have monkey brain and it's or puppy brain and it's just going everywhere, I say the mantra, be with your feet. And I look down at my feet and I realize I am here. And then that kind of just brings me back. It's a silly thing but it's actually really helpful. So with that, I'll close the 200th episode. Thank you for being curious with me and thank you for valuing the nuance and paradox of our world. As always, keep it curious. Thanks for listening and thanks for making it this far. If you loved this episode, now is a great time to take a screenshot and share about it on social media. Be sure to tag me. I'm at Meredith for real. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with a fellow podcaster about interviews that changed my life. That's episode 119. Stay tuned next week when I revisit the hot topic of aliens, when I talk with a biological anthropologist asking the question, could aliens be future us?